On this episode of Mando Talk, I'm going to run down and break down the first two episodes of Ahsoka that have now premiered, and I'm going to share my own personal review of them. So stick around, stay tuned, let's have a lot of fun on our first companion podcast episode for this season of Ahsoka. Let's get into it. So this is going to be spoiler heavy. If that hasn't been clear, I'm your host, Caleb Keller. This is Mando Talk. I am so pumped to be doing this yet again with all of you guys, all of you Ugnots and Jawas. Welcome back. Mando Talk has basically turned into a companion podcast for new Star Wars content. So during this season of Star Wars content, we are Mando Talk and Ahsoka podcast so if you love ahsoka if you're excited for this season you're excited for this show hit that subscribe button wherever you are checking this podcast out so how are y'all doing what did y'all think what did y'all think of the two episode premiere of ahsoka i'll kind of save my overall reviews for them after i kind of get through and kind of talk about some takeaways that i had throughout the episodes But uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. If you're on YouTube, drop your personal review down in the comments. If you're listening on a podcast platform, hey, click that Discord link that's in the description. We're going to be talking and chatting and and really cranking out some some community content in there. So, uh, yeah, there's plenty of places to have your voice and your opinion heard. So do that for me. All right, so what we're going to do here, we're going to take an episode at a time. So we're going to start with episode one, Master and Apprentice. So obviously for me, the first big takeaway immediately out the gate is we have a Disney Plus series that has an opening crawl. And it's not your traditional Star Wars episodic opening crawl. It was a very eerie red font, red colored text it just it, it goes with the, the red Lucasfilm logo that they've been rolling with in all of the marketing and all of the, the phrases. It kind of fills in the gap between the Ahsoka episode from The Mandalorian Season 2 and now. And that really helps as far as those casual viewers that really just kind of watch the live action material. And if that's one of you, that's perfectly fine. Here on this podcast, I break down everything to a digestible level for anybody and everybody, wherever you're approaching the Star Wars franchise. So that was definitely immediately out the gate. That told me that the creators behind this genuinely care about what they've got their hands on here. Obviously, it's Dave Filoni. 
this is his baby. Ahsoka's his baby. This story is his baby. So just that small detail, really loved. So we're beginning here. Morgan Elsbeth is being transported by the New Republic to face trial. Balin and Shin are granted permission on board using an old Jedi clearance code. And then Captain Hell, this dude, Captain Hell thinks they are just old Imperials trying to play a part and gets himself and his crew essentially killed because of it. Like, this dude just thinks, I guess, that these people are in cloaks and they've got lightsabers on their waist for no reason. Uh, yeah, bad move, dude, because you got yourself and everyone around you offed. Well, Balin ends up making it to Morgan Elsbeth and frees her, and she reveals that Ahsoka knows of the map potentially leading to Thrawn's whereabouts. So immediately, within the first, what, five minutes, we get solid groundwork of what these villains are truly after. Obviously, they are trying to find Grand Admiral Thrawn. I loved the opening of this premiere episode. Loved it. And I, immediately I was all in on Balin. And I'm all in on Shin too. Like those two characters. Super cool. Absolutely cool. I, I love every moment. This moment. But also future moments within this episode and episode two. So that was our intro to our main villains of these first two episodes. Well next up we get a check in on our character the hero, the main title character of this series, Ahsoka Tano, baby. Well, Ahsoka appears seemingly searching for this map in an old temple on a world named Arcana. After some Cal Kestising and Indiana Jonesing, that's what it kind of reminded me of. It was like kind of like a Jedi Fallen Order mission where you're trying to get these clues to figure out like this relic or something that'll help you alongside the mission or just very Indiana Jones-like trying to get, you know, a relic, like I already said. Uh, she discovers a sphere as she declares she has now found the map. She attempts to talk to Huang through comms, but they seem to be jammed. When she leaps out of the tomb, she is greeted by droids prepared to battle. They are equipped with what I call vibro staffs, capable of taking on lightsaber blades. Ahsoka, of course, takes them out pretty easily with very sick slicing maneuvers, especially in the ground whenever they kind of got sucked down. But those droids had these really intense self-destructs. Like, I wasn't expecting... Because, you know, we've seen that temple blow up in trailers... I thought it would be a more intentional blow-up by, like, Ahsoka or maybe another one of the heroes. But no, it, it was these droids, and it just completely demolished the in entire thing. So I was definitely shocked by that. But it was another solid, solid introduction to another, obviously, key piece in the Ahsoka series is the Ahsoka character herself. Now... I could see maybe a criticism if if you felt like this scene was too slow as far as seeing Ahsoka piece all of this stuff together. But for me personally, I eat that stuff up. Like, I absolutely loved every second of it. I was so engaged, and already the music was just killer and thriller, and it had me going immediately. So, yeah, I, I really dug that character's entrance, obviously, being Ahsoka Tano. Uh, so the next part in this uh, show... We get more, I guess, groundwork. If you haven't seen Clone Wars, that's where this droid comes from. Hyang. Hyang. I, I might be mispronouncing that, guys. It's been a minute since I've watched that Clone War arc. Honestly, before the Ahsoka series, I just focused on doing a Rebels rewatch. Uh, and I'm very appreciative of, of doing that, by the way. But uh, this droid's giving 
or is given a hard time by Ahsoka for being so far away from her during the mission on the ship. Ahsoka says she didn't follow Jedi order procedure to get Elsbeth to tell the truth of the map's location. And then suddenly we hear home one calling Ahsoka, still using the code name Fulcrum. So there is a freak out sesh for Rebels fans like me. Like as soon as I saw that word Fulcrum, I was like, okay, we're in safe hands. We're back home. This is the Rebel story just completely continuing going here in live action form. And so Ahsoka kind of blasts off there and, and heads to this home one individual, which we don't know who that was at that moment, but it's going to be Hera. But I want to backtrack to when Ahsoka says she didn't follow Jedi Order procedure. That's establishing, obviously, we know if you're a Rebels or Clone Wars viewer, we know that she's technically not a Jedi. So she's not restricting herself to doing the Jedi and only the Jedi way. That tells me that she's going to be nitty and gritty here and there throughout this season. At least I hope. That's my hope personally. But that's how I interpret it. We're going to see that line come back into play. I feel like very much so these first two episodes, we got a lot of Jedi philosophical ideas coming from Ahsoka, but that line wasn't just put there for, for no reason. We'll come back to it. But anyway, we continue on. Ahsoka does report to Home One where she is greeted by General Harrison Dula, where she is prepared to brief Ahsoka on how Morgan Elsbeth escaped New Republic custody. Ahsoka does not know who Balin or Shin is, so that was a reveal that I wasn't sure of heading into this series. I thought maybe Ahsoka would know who those two individuals were, but at least at the moment, she does not. It's also revealed that Hera and others believe Thrawn died at the Battle of the Thaw, and they also aren't certain that Ezra is alive at this point and that was a reveal to me I thought that at the in the Rebels finale it was just kind of implied that that Ezra and Thrawn both kind of lived based off of that recording that Ezra gave to the ghost crew but I can see why it's kind of up in the air and I and I like that that two different point of view like us as the viewer we know that those two are still out there but I like seeing the internal struggle that our heroes are having to go through potentially thinking that our boy Ezra and our our villain Thrawn uh, could actually still be could actually in fact be dead to where we're not having to worry about Thrawn but we are definitely then going to be worried about Ezra if he's actually not out there so that was a nice reveal for me as a viewer to remind myself oh yeah these characters don't necessarily know what we know so so that was cool that was refreshing anyway we continue Yang reveals that the star map is locked and the key to activating it has eluded him Hera pushes Ahsoka to seek out Sabine for help and she ends it kind of the convincing line to get Ahsoka to go after Sabine and to kind of recruit her into this mission is, quote, quote, unquote, for Ezra. Obviously, that's going to pull out the heartstrings. That's definitely going to pull out the heartstrings. So, yeah, then we cut to Lothal. Okay. And this is where it could have gotten potentially to, as I like to say, inside baseball where it could have gotten very um, requiresome for you to have seen Rebels. As for me, since I've seen Rebels, I loved every second of it. But if you haven't seen Rebels, again, that's another thing that I want to hear feedback on. Let me know in the comments on YouTube or in Discord 
how you kind of interpreted interpreted not just this scene, but really the entire two episodes. Like, are you lost anywhere? Let me know. But as we cut to Lothal, it is this it is now the same day that the Battle of Lothal was won all those years ago in the Rebels finale, and seemingly Ryder Azadi, a character from Star Wars Rebels, is now the governor of Lothal. The painting Sabine made of the ghost crew is presented as a monument for Lothal, and Commander Sabine Wren is called on to speak during its presentation, but she is nowhere to be found, very on par with the character that we get in Rebels. Senator Jai Kel is used to stall for Sabine's absence as Azadi demands for her to be found. He kind of reports that to his captains to try to search and find her to get her at this ceremony. Now, Kel is also a Rebels character. So, again, tipping the cap if you did your homework. You're you're going to love the series, I think, a little bit more. I still think that this show is doing a good job of giving non-Rebels viewers reasons to love it. But if you watched Rebels, like you're really, really going to love it because of that attention to detail. Sabine is found jamming to some rock music on a speeder on the famous bridge on Lothal. And Sabine refuses to go to the ceremony. And she has a pretty awesome moment here. As far as, you know, her speeder going under one of the ships that's hunting her down and just kind of shooting off into the communication tower in the distance. I really dug it. Uh, it kind of reminded me, and excuse me if this is frowned upon on a Star Wars podcast to mention Star Trek, but if you think back to like the reboot of Star Trek when J.J. Abrams did it and Sabotage is played by, uh, I think it's Beastie Boys, Sabotage is played whenever Captain Kirk, Chris Pine is on a motorcycle. Yeah, it gives me those vibes, but I dug it. Uh, I didn't know for sure if that was just the track or the score used for the show or if Sabine's actually listening to the music, but I choose to believe she's actually listening to that music because it's so on par. It's so on par with that character. But I, I loved that introduction, or I, I guess rather reintroduction to Sabine, but new introduction as far as here in this live-action portrayal. And by the way, while I'm thinking of it, all of the live-action portrayals of these previous animation-only characters, tip-top Perfect casting, folks. Like, I loved every second of screen time with these new performers on on screen. Our new actress for Hera, our new actress for Sabine, our little bit of, of actor for Ezra, all of them. All of them, really. And obviously, I'll, I'll include Ahsoka with that, but we've already seen Ahsoka in live action for a, a couple years now, ever since The Mandalorian Season 2. So, I ate that stuff up. It, it, it was good stuff. Anyway, continuing on here. Sabine makes it to the communication tower on Lothal, which I'm assuming she has now made it her homestead because this used to be Ezra's kind of essential hangout spot and, and really kind of where he would occasionally crash whenever he was on Lothal since, you know, he didn't really have any parents and he was just kind of doing his own thing. I loved seeing all of the little Easter eggs in the background. Like one of the most notable things is one of the... Uh, scout trooper helmets that Ezra painted in, or I guess Sabine painted for him 
in Rebels. Like, you could see that in the background. You could see some Stormtrooper helmets that they had collected in the background. Like, all of these Rebel relics that, again, if you're a diehard Rebel fan, you ate up. I loved seeing that stuff. But we also got a really cute Lothcat. I'm sure that I'm going to get, like, a plush toy of a Lothcat soon. I don't know why I haven't already. Uh, but but that's on the docket. That's that's definitely coming soon. I'm sure once my wife sits down and watches that episode, she's going to think, yeah, we, we need to get one of those. If it's possible to get a real Lothcat, we're going to travel to other galaxies to bring one back here to Earth. And um, yeah, I, I just think the Lothcats are so cool. Anyway, that's what you get here at Mando Talk. Really deep dives. Really deep dives. Okay, continuing on here. Sabine is in her fields and plays a transmission recording that Ezra made specifically for her after his disappearance. He essentially explains that he is still counting on her to see this mission through. And I love that. This is definitely the thing that... Um, Sabine needed as far as being at least interested and engaged with what could possibly transpire within the next few moments of this episode. Okay, so as we continue on here, Shin, Balin, and Elsbeth make it to the remains of the destroyed temple where Ahsoka got the map to Thrawn's potential whereabouts. Morgan reveals it's a temple built by her ancestors the Night Sisters of Dathomir. Big reveal, folks. So that is, again, a Clone Wars connection, but I, I think they're going to do a great job of explaining it if you haven't seen Clone Wars. The Night Sisters, in simplistic form, is essentially a group of witches that claim to be sisters that connect to Darth Maul, that kind of raise Darth Maul. Um, yeah, that's that's probably the Night Sisters in, in most simple form. Uh, obviously then we're going to see some witchcraft. We get a little hints of that in this two episode premiere and I'll kind of leave it at that. But the fact that she's a night sister of, of Dathomir internal freak out session when that happened, Morgan commands Balin to send Shin to Lothal to look for Ahsoka's former apprentice. Of course, we know that to be Sabine Wren. I'm not sure what's up with Merrick in this scene. So if you think back when you saw episode one in this scene, when they get to this, these temple remains, Morgan, Balin, Shin are all there, and Merrick is too, but not a single word is said to him, and Merrick doesn't say a single word. It was kind of weird, and it's got me wondering that there's got to be something going on with this dude. I don't know what it is. I know a lot of times Star Wars fan theories point to cloning or something like that. I've seen a theory, and maybe I haven't seen it. Maybe it's just something that came to my mind. Could potentially be an Ezra Bridger clone. That would be absolutely wild. Kind of connect to a heir to the Empire-y kind of vibe. Again, that's another resource that this show is pulling in on uh, as far as it is inspiring this content that we're getting. But I don't know. Just, just Merrick felt weird and out of place in this scene. But uh, later, at least, you know, the, the Merrick action cranks up. But uh, at this moment, Merrick's just a cool-looking looking villain, essentially, at, at that point. Well, anyway, we then cut back to Lothal, where Sabine is having a bad dream about Ezra. She wakes up and notices that Ahsoka has arrived on the planet. Now, that's an interesting development there, because typically in Star Wars, individuals that have bad dreams are usually Force users. 
right? I mean, most notably, you think about Anakin Skywalker. Um, is Sabine Force-sensitive? I mean, I know she's about to start getting trained by Ahsoka yet again. Ahsoka declares her as her Padawan. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it's still possible. I still feel like inside these two episodes, we haven't seen anything that confirms that she's Force-sensitive other than a little conversation that we'll get to later, and I think it's in episode two that kind of hints at maybe she has a super weak connection with the Force. But I also haven't seen anything... So I haven't seen anything that confirms that she's Force-sensitive, and I haven't seen anything that doesn't confirm that she's Force-sensitive, if you're following me there. So uh, I think that's still something that's that's in development. Ahsoka shows Sabine the star map sphere and says she thinks she knows how to find Ezra, which is going to get Sabine to be interested, obviously. And Sabine begins to try to make connections with her artistic mind, the star map, and the location where Ahsoka took it from. Ahsoka is living in the ship and goes where she is needed, which Sabine is salty about that comment because she clearly feels like Ahsoka didn't show up for her when she needed her. And then we get this interesting kind of back and forth dialogue that I made note of. You never made things easy. Why should I? You never made things easy for me, master. And then Ahsoka says, there is nothing easy about being a Jedi. Sabine says, well, then I should have made a good one. And Ahsoka says, yes, you should have. So another piece of evidence that makes me think maybe Sabine is Force-sensitive if Ahsoka is using that word Jedi. But Ahsoka could also be a, a character, a type of character, a type of person to uh, use that Jedi term kind of maybe loosely since she claims to be not a Jedi herself. So there's still some meat left to chew on that bone. Sabine asks to take the map somewhere she can focus better, but Ahsoka refuses because unlocking the map means so much more than just finding Ezra. And of course she's not going to listen to that. She takes off. She does her own thing. She goes back to the homestead to really dive into that star map, into that sphere to figure it out. And while that happens, Ahsoka goes off to the side with the droid and discovers some things regarding the hilts the of Balin and of Shin because earlier in the episode Ahsoka asked the droid to kind of dissect and and investigate those hilts because Hyang if you don't know connecting to Clone Wars has a past of helping Jedi Padawans create their initial lightsabers at the Jedi Temple. And I think there was some dialogue within this episode that kind of alluded to that. So where if you hadn't seen Clone Wars, you weren't lost with that. But yeah, we do get confirmation that after the analysis on Balin and Shin's hilt inside the Jedi Temple, obviously, or excuse me, after the analysis on Balin and Shin's hilt, we know that... Hyang hasn't seen Shin's hilt, but he does recognize Balin's skulls as he knows of only one student in the last 500 years to have had something like it. So, yeah, that connects and that kind of showed that that droid had a connection and a purpose back at the Jedi Temple, and that was to help with the creation of those hilts. So, that was a cool reveal for non-Clone Wars fans non-Rebels fans, non-animation diehards as far as what that droid's up to, uh, and very just eerie vibes because it just kind of, it kind of played to me like Voldemort, if I'm being honest, you know, with, with his wand 
and Harry. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm reaching there. But it was just interesting hearing the droid say that he knows of only one student in the last 500 years that have had something like that. So obviously that that was notable for the droid at least. Anyway, as we continue here, Hera and Ahsoka have a conversation revealing a lot of information that Clone Wars and Rebels fans already knew, including Sabine's personality, why Ahsoka left the Order, how that fell apart, the fact that Anakin was her master. If you didn't know that, like if you didn't watch Clone Wars, then you had no clue that Anakin ever had a Padawan and that technically Anakin was a master, at least for in Ahsoka's eyes and things like that. Like all of that stuff within that scene, if you had already watched animation, you were good on, but it was still refreshing for me. Like it was nice to see the chemistry between these two live action portrayals build. So I really, really, really enjoyed that. Well, now we get to the end of episode one. As we head back to the homestead, Sabine discovers the key in opening the star map, which appeared to be rearranging the sphere to match the flooring in the Night Sister Temple. I might need to rewatch that again, but that's what it looks like again. This is this is I'm recording this immediately after watching the these two episodes. So I'm I need to go back and rewatch them, obviously. But that was my interpretation of it, at least first watch. It looked like she really just kind of twisted the knobs on that sphere until they matched with that map, or rather with the flooring that we see at that um night sister temple as soon as she figures out though of course droids arrive and steal the map from sabine sabine calls for backup but of course that backup gets there too late she grabs ezra lightsaber ezra's lightsaber and comes face to face with shin which by the way i skipped over it shin was able to track her down because she had this cool little probe droid of her own that kind of spotted her and followed her and then they have this lightsaber battle uh, Sabine kind of doesn't really ever hold her own honestly Shin kind of handles this fight uh, but based on trailers I know that we're going to get a second fight between them so I'm assuming obviously Sabine's skills are going to have increased by then so I look forward to that and then as Ahsoka finally arrives for assistance literally as soon as she arrives Sabine gets stabbed and the final frame of the episode is Sabine breathing, seemingly revealing that she's going to be okay. But if you had watched any trailers, then you already knew that she was going to be okay. So I'm really glad that they decided to do a two-episode premiere because we had already seen so much Sabine content within trailers that we didn't see in that first episode. So that cliffhanger at the end of episode one, everybody would have been like, yeah, that was that was kind of silly, you know, because we've seen Sabine in a ship in trailers. We've seen Sabine with her Mandalorian helmet in the trailers. So I'm glad they didn't stop there as far as premiering with just one episode. But that wraps up my episode one recap breakdown discussion. So that kind of puts us close to the 30-minute mark. So obviously moving forward as Ahsoka's releasing, you can kind of expect, at least when it's just me on the podcast, you can expect about 30-minute episodes. But obviously we do have another episode that we need to go into here in just a second. But I want to give a review of episode one first 
But before I do that, I'm just going to, you know, take a little sip of my spotchka, a.k.a. Diet Coke. So so if you'll indulge in just a second. Hey, if, you, if you've got a beverage, if you've got a water, spotchka, so be it, whatever. Let's go ahead and uh, refresh for just a second. We feel better. We feel great. We feel ready to go. So here's my episode one review. Perfect start. Like, I don't want to sit here and say it's a 10 out of 10 episode because I don't think it was just absolutely perfect. There was definitely some moments where I could see people view it as slow. But literally, for a premiere episode and establishing these characters, even for Rebels and non-Rebel fans, even for Clone Wars and non-Clone Wars fans, it was still very vital to establish these live-action chemistry and portrayal of these characters. So I really enjoyed the pace, if I'm being honest. If I think back to The Mandalorian Season 3, like we were here, there, boom, 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 next thing, next thing, next thing, like it never stopped, which is cool because you get this full-on action feels inside of you, but you never get that that opportunity to just breathe, you know, and just take it all in. And I really enjoyed the fact here in Episode 1, we were able to take it all in. We got a lightsaber fight in the premiere episode. Are you kidding me? Like, again, it, with inside these first two episodes, and I know I'm, I'm just talking about episode one right now, but it, with inside these first two episodes, we got great lightsaber action. Star Wars needs that, baby. That was great. So, yeah, episode one, perfect premiere. It set it up perfectly, and I genuinely loved it. Obviously, episode one for me, big takeaways. Balin was awesome. Awesome. Shin was awesome. Morgan Elspeth was awesome. Hera was awesome. Sabine was awesome. Ahsoka was awesome. The only criticism I had, Merrick just felt off. That That's really it. That's why I wouldn't say it's like tip-top 10 out of 10. I would say like 9.5 out of 10. 9.5 out of 10. I give it a half-point reduction or deduction, rather, because I don't know what's going on with that Merrick dude. It just kind of felt awkward. It just felt awkward. They're all just standing there, and you see in the shadows this dude that looks like a knight just standing there with his little cape blowing in the wind, and he looks so cool, but nobody in the scene's going to acknowledge the dude. Like, I don't know. It just it just felt weird. Anyway, but yeah, 9.5 out of 10 for episode one. So with that down, now let's look at episode Two. So, immediately within episode two, Sabina wakes from being stabbed, and we hear all the voices running in her head. Again, more evidence that maybe Sabine is Jedi. Maybe she's Force-sensitive. Sabine reveals there were two galaxies and a pathway between the two, but that's all she was able to take away from the star map before the droids took it and destroyed her records. Balin and Shin arrive on Setos, where he believes they have located a reflex point. We'll talk maybe a little bit more about that reflex point in just a minute. Now, one thing I realized I glanced over, because there at that point in Episode 2, it shows you the title card and also the episode title. So obviously I need to backtrack. Episode 1, I failed to mention that its title was Master and Apprentice. That's definitely hinting at Balin and Shin. And then this Episode 2 title is Toil and Trouble. Okay, definitely wanted to make sure that I got that out there. All right, so 
we, we get done with getting that title card reveal and, and seeing that Sabine's alive and seeing what she remembers and, and seeing that Balin and Shin are taking that map to this reflex point. And now we get to this point where Ahsoka is able to recall the events from the night before at the communications tower on the Thaw through her connection with the Force. That was cool. And for me, that felt new at least. I don't recall seeing that somewhere before. So that was really neat. I, I love that addition to Jedi slash Force lore there. And if we have seen that in the franchise before, I apologize. Right now, as I'm sitting here, it is kind of midnight now, so I may be a little fuzzy, but it was still cool, nonetheless. Nonetheless, Sabine reveals, excuse me, uh, we have definitely already hit that. Let's see where we're at. While Ahsoka is looking around, a droid from the night before comes down from the ceiling, which gives something for them to go off on as far as furthering their mission. Now, it did feel kind of weird that that droid was still just hanging out there. Like, why? Why would that droid still hang out there? Maybe to make sure that the mission was finished as far as, let's make sure Sabine or whoever shows up back here is dead. But, eh, interesting decision. Shin, you got what you needed. You got the star map. Just pull all the troops out. Pull all the droids out. Because, because of that droid being left there, the good guys, the heroes now have something to go off of. So that was a questionable moment in the plot, but I get it. I mean, I can formulate my own ideas as far as how that makes sense, so I'm good with it. Positive vibes only. Positive vibes only. Well, continuing on here, Sabine, with her know-how mind, gets inside the droid's memory core and discovers the droid came from Corellia. Hera's motherly instincts with the ghost crew kicks in as she gives some encouragement to Sabine to kind of keep on working with her relationship with Ahsoka. Obviously, they kind of keep butting heads, Sabine and Ahsoka, but it was nice to see that um, Hera still has those motherly influential vibes uh, with Sabine and I'm assuming with all of the ghost crew still to this day. One thing I don't want to glance over is once that uh, reveal regarding that droid coming from Corellia occurs, then we know Ahsoka and Hera are going to go there. They're going to try to research and discover, all right, what's going on there? Why is the Empire, why are these villains getting droids or, or these obvious, these, these things causing havoc for the New Republic? Why are bad guys getting that? Because Corellia is supposed to be following New Republic protocol at this point. So they definitely have some things that they uh, need to go and look at. So next up in the episode, though, it definitely gets very interesting. This was probably my favorite scene of episode two. So Morgan Elsbeth arrives to Setos at the reflex point and reveals that the place was made by an ancient people from a distant galaxy. Okay. For me, that immediately makes me think of potentially, is she talking about Thrawn's species, which is, and I, I haven't read the, the novels in a while. I've read the Heir to the Empire trilogy, but I haven't read the recent Thrawn canon novels. But I believe his people are called the Chiss Ascendancy or something like that. The Chiss Ascendancy. Would it or could it rather be 
who Morgan Elizabeth is talking about there, or is she still alluding to her night sister background, or maybe she's talking about, I don't know, Zeb from Rebels is a Lasat. Maybe that's another species that's running through my mind there as far as an ancient people. A lot of brainstorming there. So obviously there's some stuff there for me to chew on and why that helps this being my favorite scene of episode two. At this reflex point, Morgan Elsbeth shows their destination where they believe Thrawn is banished. Balin calls it the pathway to Peridia, which Jedi believe is fairy tale. Morgan hears Thrawn calling to him across time and space. Excuse me. Morgan hears Thrawn calling to her across time and space. And it was inside this moment that you could kind of sense that Balin may fundamentally disagree with some of Morgan's witchcraftery ways here. Because he kind of voiced some concern about, uh, number one, this whole pathway to Peridia thing. Jedi don't really believe in it. It's just a fairy tale. And also, he was saying something like, oh, you're not really communicating with Thrawn. That's more so just your witchcraft imagination kind of thing. So we're seeing a potential clashing of beliefs, of, of, of philosophical ideas here. I think that's going to be interesting. We may come back to that. But then Morgan says the Eye of Scion is on its way there and wants Balin and Shin to make sure everything is ready for its arrival. Balin wants Merrick to complete the task and Morgan agrees. So Balin says that if Thrawn is then found, it means power such that they've never seen for him and Shin will occur. And Shin is ordered to go to Corellia with Merrick to make sure the Eye of Scion is ready to go. Which I had no clue what they were talking about with that Eye of Scion at the moment. But uh, by the end of this episode, so I'll hold off on uh, saying anything about it. By the end of this episode... Once it was revealed what that was, pretty cool, and it started to make sense uh, regarding why um, Shin and Merrick are needing to go to Corellia. But very cool dark side witchcraft lore here established that I believe is fundamental to this show, to this season. So yeah, I ate up everything about that scene. Next up. Ahsoka and Hera arrive on Corellia to inspect Morgan Elsbeth's old facilities. We get some nice insight into how the common folk in the galaxy view this transition period away from Imperial control. And inside this moment, Hera pitches to Ahsoka to, to bring Sabine back on as her apprentice. Now, backtracking to my previous point, where we get really nice insight into how the common folk in the galaxy view this transition period. The common folk on Corellia here just view this as a job. And I've always kind of got that sense, but maybe in between this time frame, between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, maybe they haven't really portrayed that great, but here it's made perfectly clear. Nobody, common folk, care who's in control. It doesn't matter if it's Imperials, doesn't matter if it's New Republic. As long as that paycheck is coming through, it does not matter. It does not matter whatsoever. And that makes total sense. This is a massive galaxy. 
it is entirely unrealistic to believe that one of those regimes regime regimes excuse me again midnight stumbling over the words uh entirely unrealistic to believe that the new republic would have total control over everything at this point these people just want the money they're greedy they're selfish as humans we all can relate to that at some point there's this there's some points in our life maybe even on a daily basis where we're selfish to an extent that's just a reality that we all kind of need to come to an acceptance with and then just kind of correct when it comes up anyway random life lesson there but yeah i love that moment of just this dialogue here of this worker here in Corellia, who's sus, by the way, uh, saying that everybody here just cares about a paycheck, clearly. And uh, we get more more insight into that uh, later within the episode. Well, then Sabine has suddenly healed from being stabbed and has modified, it's revealed that she has modified Ezra's lightsaber to make it her own. Yang encourages Sabine to train to use a lightsaber again and says that he, she doesn't need Ahsoka to do that. Uh, the droid then, the droid and Sabine then share some nice, light-hearted dialogue back and forth. And Hyang says her connection to the Force would fall short of all the Padawan he's seen over the years. So earlier in this episode, this podcast episode, I was saying that there was a conversation between Sabine and this droid that kind of allude to her Force sensitivity again. I could see interpretations here. You could easily interpretate that line and see that the droid is saying she has zero connection to the Force, but you could also view that line and see it as Sabine has some connection to the Force. There's at least some foundational work there that could be expanded upon. We'll see. We'll just have to wait and see. I'm still 50-50 with it. I still I, I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more to be fully committed to Sabine being Force-sensitive or not. But regardless, I love the dialogue between these two. You can tell that they have a connection. Obviously, we haven't seen on screen this whole Ahsoka-Sabine training thing. But you can tell within this dialogue with Ahsoka's droid and Sabine herself that uh, they've spent some time together. So I really loved the the decision to spend some time with this droid and with Sabine establishing or yeah, establishing on screen this uh, characterization and chemistry that they've got that uh, happened before we got to this point in the timeline back to Corellia, Hera and Ahsoka begin questioning what's really going on at this facility. And they discover there are Imperial loyalists still helping the empire get ships and resources there's this dude that says for the empire randomly and attempts to start shooting. Well, Ahsoka easily takes care of that. And then of course, all these sus people and droids within this facility end up being taken care of eventually. But this leads to Ahsoka running into Merrick as they begin fighting because this transport is starting to take off with this uh, hyperspace or hyper. I'm blanking on it. Blanking on it. Where's it at? I've got it in my notes here somewhere. I cannot believe I'm forgetting what they called this here in this hyperdrive. There we go. I said hyperspace. Hyperdrive was the word that I was looking for. So, yeah, that's why havoc kind of ensues because Ahsoka and Hera are trying to prevent the Empire from getting that hyperdrive that they see. Well, Ahsoka runs into Merrick on her way 
to get to the hyperdrive. And that leads to lightsaber battle number two of the series. So two episodes in, two lightsaber battles. That is a perfect, perfect ratio. Uh, if we want to keep that going, we got eight episodes this season. Give me eight lightsaber battles. That would be incredible. I don't think we're going to get that, but uh, pretty great ratio that we're, we're starting off this season with. Hera begins chasing down the transport that is carrying a hyperdrive to aid the Imperial fleet aboard the Phantom. So the Phantom is like the second ship that attaches to the Ghost. So we still haven't seen the Ghost yet. I do think we're going to see it eventually, but the Phantom was, was a cool thing to see at least. The Chopper and Hera chemistry is done so well during this scene. Chopper is executed to a T. He's just wrecking havoc. He has no regard for human life or anything around him up there on the Phantom. He's just throwing these parts over his head with no regard with where they land or who they could hit down on the planet or if they hit anything or anybody. It doesn't It doesn't matter to Chopper. does not cross his mind, and that is very, very much so like his droid behavior in rebel so they can keep that up i absolutely loved that then after kind of battling it out uh between ahsoka and merrick merrick kind of runs away merrick probably realizes that uh he's not going to survive as far as ahsoka fighting him and uh shin kind of comes by picks him up very interesting decision there to have the the lightsaber fly by Ahsoka, but I loved the cool moment where Ahsoka just kind of turns, expecting the lightsaber to come by, and it doesn't phase her in the slightest. So that was really cool, and uh, very much so fit the uh, vibes of Ahsoka. Obviously, this show so far in two episodes has done such a good job of continuing the vibes of all of these characters that we love from previous shows and obviously with Filoni at the helm, I expect that to continue. Well, before the Empire jumps into hyperspace with that hyperdrive, Chopper does successfully get a tracking device on it. So they were at least a little bit successful because now they're going to be able to see where that hyperdrive is going and maybe what they're trying to create with that hyperdrive. Okay, so that finishes the things going on on Corellia. Sabine is now out back on the communication tower where she begins prepping her Mandalorian armor and she cuts her hair and prepares to depart Lothal. So she is now all in as far as getting this mission going. One thing that I did glance over on Corellia, we do have Hera arresting the Imperial loyalists who are more so greedy rather than loyal. And there, Ahsoka receives the call from Sabine saying that she is ready. So she immediately hops on board her ship and takes off to Lothal. And when Ahsoka arrives on Lothal to pick Sabine up, it seems to be a live-action version of the final shot that we got in the Rebels finale. The only thing missing? Ahsoka the White. I don't know why that decision was made. And I don't know if that makes me believe that this is entirely a different time in the timeline as far as when Sabine, you know, reflects on the, the ghost mural before she goes off with Ahsoka at the end of Rebels when she's wearing all white with a little staff versus now when Sabine does the same exact thing 
taps the mural and goes with Ahsoka, but she's still wearing kind of this gray outfit. I'm still wrapping my head around that. I'm leaning toward it's just a live-action version of that, and Filoni just decided to get rid of the Ahsoka the White thing, but I really like the Ahsoka the White thing, if I'm being honest. Like, that kind of bums me out. If that's no longer a thing, as far as live-action portrayal goes, I was really hoping to see that. But maybe it's still two separate events, but it wouldn't really make sense for it to be two separate events. You let me know what you think. Is it two separate events? Let me know in the comments or hop over to Discord. I would love to hear your opinion on that. Well, here, Ahsoka is informed by Hera that the transport is in orbit at the planet Seto, so they were successfully able to track this down, and Ahsoka and Sabine get into space, and Ahsoka says, take us out, Padawan. So Ahsoka is officially bringing her back under her wing, bringing Sabine back under her wing, and we're going to get some Master and Apprentice vibes moving forward. So I think we're going to get some final answers here soon regarding is Sabine Force-sensitive or not. I think that's going to come within this next episode. And then we end the episode back on Setos. The hyperdrive taken from Corellia is used in final efforts to complete the Eye of Scion, which appears to be the method of travel to this new beyond galaxy to locate Thrawn. So that answers what the Eye of Scion reveal was earlier in this episode too. And Balin declares that Ahsoka is coming. Morgan says nothing needs to get in their way. And Balin says killing her would be a shame since there are so few Jedi left. Yet again, another instance where Balin and Morgan have two different ideas going on here that is going to eventually reveal itself as a thing. That wraps up the episode two breakdown and recap. So now here's my review for episode two. I don't know if I liked it equally as episode one or just a little bit less than episode one. I think episode two is faster paced, which I did enjoy, which I did appreciate. But I I think I really, really still dug just episode one slower pace, if I'm being honest. I like being able to breathe. I like being able to take it all in and, and just kind of relish in the moment of these characters being in live action. But with that said, I still really loved episode two. If I gave episode one 9.5 out of 10, I would say episode two then 9 out of 10. Like, it, the perfect two-part premiere, the perfect two-part premiere we just got to witness. The love, the care, you can, you can see it from beginning to end. And that reminds me, the end credits. The end credits are insanely good. As far as the music, the score, and the visuals, insanely good. Like, it's been a while. It's been a while since I have felt the need, probably since back to The Mandalorian Season 1, where I have felt the need to sit there and listen to the credits before I turn it off or before I hit next episode. It's been a hot minute since I've done that, and I think I'm going to be doing that this entire season. Kevin Kiner... 
You are a beautiful, brilliant man, dude. Like, you continue to crush this. And I know one of the Star Wars uh, content creators out there that I listen to, Christian Harloff, has been saying this for years. But once John Williams is no longer able to score Star Wars movies, Kevin Kiner's the dude. Okay? I know there's so much more talent out there. I know we got Ludwig. I know we got, uh, I think his name's Michael Giacchino. I'm not good with names, folks. It's the guy that scored Rogue One. Like, we've got all this crazy talent. But you got a dude in-house that's been doing the animation. He goes, it's like George Lucas makes me think of John Williams. Dave Filoni makes me think of Kevin Kiner. Like, you've got your master and apprentice in both realms, both creative, director, writing, and composing like you gotta give kevin connor his credit here this is just insane i feel like the score really elevated the material in both episode one and episode two so definitely one of my favorite takeaways of this two episode premiere was that but yeah episode one 9.5 out of 10 episode two nine out of ten i am thrilled i absolutely loved this thing I cannot wait for next week. Episode 3 apparently is going to be in the 30-minute range, so that's that's cool with me, honestly. If we continue to get these focused, very important scene-by-scene moments, it seems like we're not going to get any filler or any non-important minutes as far as being on the screen during the season. I am locked in. I have no doubt that the that next week, if it's 30 minutes like it's being reported, I have no doubt it's going to be action-packed, jam-packed, very vital-packed 30-minute episode. So I'm looking very much forward to it. Now, I do have a couple predictions with that. I think we're going to see the scene on Ahsoka's ship where Ahsoka is training Sabine. I think we're going to get that next week. I also think we're going to get... Ahsoka fighting Balin because we've seen that heavily in the trailers where he says Anakin spoke highly of you or something like that we've seen that heavily in marketing so we know it's something that's coming we got to keep that perfect ratio of a lightsaber battle per episode so next week we're going to be able to say it's three to three um (laughs) And I just kind of feel like it makes sense, too, as far as plot goes, because at the end of this episode, Hera reveals that, hey, we were able to track them down to Setos. So I think that's where we're headed next episode. And I think on the way there, Ahsoka's going to train Sabine. There's my prediction for next week, but if I'm totally wrong, that'll be fine, because we are in safe hands with Dave Filoni at the helm here, folks. And I cannot wait to continue to watch this season. And I cannot wait to continue to break this down with you guys. So, by the way, if you listen to this entire thing and you have not subscribed, what are you doing? Hit that button. Hit the bell. Hit the follow. Do all those different things. Make sure this podcast stays in your feeds throughout Ahsoka. I'll do my best to try to get maybe if you if you've listened for a while, you've heard of Zach Corvath, DJ Foster. We're going to try to get them in maybe once or twice at some point throughout this season. Don't think that it's just going to be me. I don't think that highly of myself. I know I want to kind of try to change it up if I can, if I'm able to, if they're able to as far as schedules go. Obviously, family over everything. If we're able to get them on maybe an episode or episode or two, that would be great. Uh, So, yeah, stick around for that. Uh, Hit those buttons and follow me at Mando Talk 
on Twitter and TikTok for more content, for more Ahsoka discussion. And join the Discord. Really, really, really excited for Discord this season of Ahsoka to talk about Ahsoka spoilers and just anything, really, Star Wars for this for the next, what, two months? So, yeah, all great things. Really appreciate you listening to this first companion podcast for Ahsoka. This is Mando Talk. I'm your host, Caleb Keller. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. I'll catch you on the next one. And as always, we have spoken.